Lesson 8 for May 14 to 20, Peter and the Rock. Sabbath afternoon, May 14. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as we open your word this week. We just want to thank you that the life of Jesus shows us not only how to live, but how he was willing to sacrifice himself for us. And this week, as we look at his interaction with Peter, we pray that we may be as faithful and true to him as Peter was eventually as well. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Let's read that again, Matthew 16 verse 15. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. The New Testament is clear. Jesus had to die. As he faced the looming shadow of the cross, Jesus prayed, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. That's John chapter 12 and verse 27. This was the divine plan conceived within the mind of God even before time began, as it said in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. That's why Jesus didn't say simply that he was going to suffer many things and be killed and raised up on the third day, but that he must face these things. Given the nature of God, the sanctity of the law and the reality of free will, his death was the only way that humanity could be saved from the penalty of transgression. This week, we pick up more of the story of Jesus, though we will focus on Peter and how Peter responded to the ministry of Jesus as he marched toward a death planned from before time began. And to finish today, we're going to read Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Sunday, May 15, You Are the Christ Imagine what it must have been like for Peter, who had been with Jesus almost from the start. What must have gone through his mind as he witnessed one incredible event after another? The healings, the casting out of demons, the feeding of the multitudes, the amazing teachings, the controlling of nature, raising the dead, and the walking on water together. What questions such as, again, why did he allow John the Baptist such an ignominious death, must have bounced around inside him, day after day, seeing things that no one in all history had ever seen? After all, Jesus was God in human flesh, and lived and ministered to humanity in the flesh, as we read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. 
But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. And Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. Then the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. So those who were around him, who lived with him, and were his disciples, were going to have plenty of unique experiences. Question. Read Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17. What question did Jesus ask his disciples, and of what significance is it that Peter is the only one recorded as answering? And why is his answer so pivotal? Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven. Peter's declaration of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, in verse 16, is one of the high points in all Scripture. Peter called him the Christ, the Anointed One, and with this confession he was saying, correctly as it turned out to be, that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who was to come in fulfilment of the covenant promises made to Abraham and then Israel. Uh, we're going to have a look now at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he does not say, and seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Also, Peter proclaimed Jesus as the Christ in the region of Caesarea Philippi. This was Gentile country. In the days prior, Peter had watched Jesus care not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. With the aid of the Holy Spirit, Peter recognized that Jesus was something much more than a Jewish prophet, as others had suggested. His ministry extended much further than that of John the Baptist, Elijah, or Jeremiah. Indeed, it was to encompass all humanity. Hence, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, showing his personal identification with all human beings. As the Bible later shows, Peter still had so much to learn about Jesus and the fullness and universality of what he had come to do. And so to finish today, what are the things that Jesus has done in your life that you could testify to as a witness to others? 
why is it good always to keep these things before you and to share them? Monday, May 16, On This Rock Right after Peter's bold confession of faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says something in answer to Peter. Question. Read Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through to 20. What did Jesus say to Peter, and how are we to understand what he meant? Matthew 16, beginning at verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. The phrase, on this rock, has been controversial within the Christian church. Catholics interpret the rock to mean Peter himself, arguing that Peter was the first pope. Protestants, however, and with good reason, reject this interpretation. The biblical weight of evidence is clearly in favour of the idea that the rock is Christ himself and not Peter. First of all, in a few places, Peter refers to Jesus and not to himself with rock imagery. The first of those is in Acts chapter 4 verses 8 to 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by your builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And first Peter chapter two verses four through to eight To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up, a spiritual house and holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is com Tained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief corner stone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Second, found throughout the Bible, 
is the image of God and of Christ as a rock. In contrast, humans are seen as weak and untrustworthy. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust, Psalm 103 verse 14, or Psalm 146 verse 3, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. As John wrote too about Jesus in John 2.25, And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And he knew too what was in Peter, as we read in Matthew 26 and verse 34. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Question. In contrast, what do these texts tell us about who the rock really is and upon whom the church is built? Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 413, How feeble the church appeared when Christ spoke these words. There was only a handful of believers against whom all the power of demons and evil men would be directed. Yet the followers of Christ were not to fear. Built upon the rock of their strength, they could not be overthrown. And so to finish today. What has been your own experience in regard to the fallibility and weakness of human beings? How can you use these experiences to help you lean only on the rock? Tuesday, May 17, Peter as Satan. Question. Read Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through to 23. Why is Jesus so suddenly tough on Peter? Matthew 16, beginning at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offence to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter's problem wasn't that he was trying to protect Jesus. He was trying to steer Jesus. He was no longer following Jesus. He was telling Jesus to follow him. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, in verse 23. Because like Satan himself in the wilderness, Peter had become a threat to the mission of Christ. Mark 8.33 notes that 
During this exchange, Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He had come to save them. He was not going to be tempted otherwise, and certainly not by one of his own disciples, no matter how well-meaning that disciple thought he was. As much as Simon Peter had grown in his walk, he was still trying to control things, including Jesus himself. In this sense, Peter wasn't all that different from another disciple, Judas, who tried to manage Jesus and to execute his own plans for what he thought a Messiah ought to be like. But unlike Judas, Peter was deeply repentant and willing to be disciplined and forgiven. Question. Read Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 27. What does Jesus mean when he says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. We live in a culture that tells us to follow our dreams, to sacrifice everything for what we want. But Jesus tells us to do the opposite. He invites us to give up our dreams and entrust them to him. Peter and the disciples were gradually learning what true faith is. True faith isn't supposed to be the exciting experience of pursuing what you want most. True faith is the painful experience of releasing what you want most. When you let go of your dreams, you are losing your life, and at the same time, you are finding it. So to finish today, what are some things that you had to lose in order to follow Jesus? Maybe at the time they seemed so important, but looking back, how do they appear now? Wednesday, May 18. Encouragement from Heaven. Question. Read Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through to 9. What happened here and why was it so important for both Jesus himself and for the disciples? Matthew chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah." While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. 
And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Jesus had dwelt amid the love and fellowship of heaven, but in the world that he had created, he was in solitude. Now heaven had sent its messengers to Jesus, not angels, but men who had endured suffering and sorrow, and who could sympathise with the Saviour in the trial of his earthly life. Moses and Elijah had been collaborators with Christ. They had shared his longing for the salvation of men. These men, chosen above every angel around the throne, had come to commune with Jesus concerning the scenes of his suffering and to comfort him with the assurance of the sympathy of heaven. The hope of the world, the salvation of every human being, was the burden of their interview. That was from The Desire of Ages, page 422 and 425. How fascinating that Jesus, the Son of God, in his humanity, had the need of comfort and encouragement from these men, who themselves knew their own share of suffering and discouragement. Luke records that they spoke to him about, as it says in Luke 9.31, his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Notice the word accomplish, which can also be translated as fulfill, more evidence that Jesus' death was necessary for the salvation of humanity. With so much at stake, it's no wonder that heaven saw the need and sent this encouragement. Also, despite all that they had seen and heard already, Peter, James and John were going to get even more reasons to believe. The voice coming out of the cloud certainly had to be encouraging as well once they got over their initial fear. How revealing, too, that Matthew says that Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. Even amid all that he was about to face, Jesus comforts and encourages his disciples. And so to finish today, no matter who we are, or how strong our faith and commitment are, we can all at times use encouragement. This also means that someone you know might be in need of it as well. Whom do you know that you could give some encouragement to right now? Thursday, May 19, Jesus and the Temple Tax. Question. Read Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through to 27. What is going on here, and what does this also tell us about Jesus? Matthew 17, beginning at verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs and taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. 
Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Though all Jews were required to pay the temple tax, priests, Levites and rabbis were exempt. So this question about whether Jesus paid the temple tax was also a challenge to his ministry. Ellen White writes that Peter missed an opportunity to testify on this occasion to the absolute authority of Christ. The quote begins from Desire of Ages, page 433 and 434. By his answer to the collector that Jesus would pay the tribute, he had virtually sanctioned the false conception of him to which the priests and rulers were trying to give currency. If priests and Levites were exempt because of their connection with the temple, how much more he, to whom the temple was, his father's house. End of quote. We can learn much from Jesus' gracious response to Peter. Rather than humiliate him, Jesus gently explains his error. Moreover, Jesus adapts to the course Peter had taken in the most creative way. Rather than simply paying the tax, thereby acknowledging his obligation to it, Jesus gets the tax elsewhere, from the mouth of a fish. This miracle is unusual. It's the only time Jesus performs a miracle seemingly for his own benefit. But that wasn't the miracle's purpose. Instead, the miracle was a demonstration to everyone of Jesus' authority, not only over the temple, but over all creation. From a human standpoint, how can we even begin to understand how Jesus could have performed this miracle? Of all the things that Peter had seen, can you imagine what must have gone on in his mind when he throws out his line, catches his first fish, and finds the exact amount owed for the temple tax? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 13 to 17. He who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counsellor has taught him, with whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and accounted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing." and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. And so to finish today, though there was no necessity for Jesus and his disciples to pay the temple tax, Jesus had them do it anyway, in order to avoid unnecessary controversy. What are ways we can learn to de-escalate situations, especially on things that are not absolute, in order to avoid unnecessary conflict? Friday, May 20. The story of how Jesus has Peter pull the money, the exact amount needed, out of the mouth of the first fish Peter catches is extraordinary. So extraordinary that some scholars have tried to argue it away. It was just a 
bit of folklore, a cute story to make a point, nothing more. Of course, that's a totally inadequate solution. It's no solution at all, in fact. Sure, in contrast to the other kind of miracles, for example, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, feeding the hungry, this one is of a different nature altogether. In the Bible, too, we do have the floating axe head in Second Kings chapter 6, and the wet fleece on the dry ground and the dry fleece on the wet ground in Judges chapter 6. So it's not of a nature totally unknown in Scripture. Why didn't Jesus simply hand Peter the money and tell him to pay it, rather than perform such an amazing feat, in order to solve what was a relatively small problem? The text doesn't say. However, as the lesson said, it does show us the incredible power of God, which should not be surprising to us. After all, we see the evidence of His incredible power all the time. Our mere existence, much less than that of the visible cosmos, is an amazing manifestation of the power of our God. If God could do this, a specific coin in a specific fish's mouth was nothing. Though written in a different context, Paul's point is so well taken. From Romans 11.33 Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! The account in Matthew is just one more manifestation of this truth. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, Peter's struggle to submit his will to God is our struggle as well. A powerful metaphor of this struggle can be found in Malachi chapter 1, where God asks the Jews to bring only their best animals for sacrifice. In verse 13, when you bring injured, lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hand, says the Lord? Why would God care what kind of sacrifices we brought to Him? Because He wants us to entrust Him with what we most want to hold on to. What things in your life do you find yourself clutching on to the most? How can you release these things to the Lord? And question two. Think about the way Jesus handled the situation with the temple tax. Rather than exacerbate the situation, He let it rest. What does this teach us about the day-to-day -day conflicts we might find ourselves in? How do you know when it's time to speak and when it's time to be silent? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled The Bridge That God Built, Part 2. Note that Pastor Frank Colom ministered to 21 village churches scattered among the steep mountains and valleys around the Maramuni River area of Papua New Guinea. After visiting members on the other side of the river, the pastor and his travelling companion learned that the bridge crossing the river had been washed away. The two men followed the river upstream, searching for a place to cross, but their way was blocked by boulders. As they stood on the bank above the raging river, wondering what to do next, they saw a huge log come hurtling down the river, tossing about like a cork. 
as the log neared where the men were standing, it suddenly was thrown into the air and came to rest across two banks, just like a bridge. Quickly grasping the opportunity that they were sure God had given them, the men climbed down the muddy bank and stepped gently onto the log. Deciding it was safe, the two carefully walked across the log and up the bank on the other side. As soon as the two men jumped off the log, it crashed back into the madly swirling water and went hurtling downstream. They watched in amazement and gratitude as the log sailed down the river. Still standing in the slippery mud, they offered heartfelt thankful prayers to God, then began the arduous task of clambering up the slippery path toward the pastor's home village. Along the trail they met some people who knew the regular bridge had been washed out. "'Where have you come from?' the strangers asked in surprise. "'From the village on the other side of the Maramuni River,' Pastor Frank answered. "'But that's impossible. The bridge was washed out yesterday,' the strangers answered. Then Pastor Frank told them about the bridge that God had built. They didn't believe the story, so they followed the footprints back to the place where the pastor and his companion crossed the river. They saw two sets of heavy prints in the mud, in the very soft mud, leading up the bank of the river, and a mark in the mud where a large log had been. But they saw no log. Then they knew that God really had sent a bridge so that his servant could return home. May Porter served as the Associate Director of Children's Ministries in Papua New Guinea Union Mission, where she wrote this story some years ago. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.